One of the biggest disruptions we've seen from the 2020 pandemic has been the upending of our educational institutions and norms. Welcome to Graduating Anxiety, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the academic challenges that students struggling with anxiety face. I'm your host, Alex Merrill. Almost overnight, millions of students, parents, and teachers were forced to adapt to the new way of doing things. Classes have been canceled indefinitely or shifted to online or hybrid learning. This means a few things. For one, anxious learners are being presented with new challenges and navigating new waters as they grow into adolescence and adulthood. It also means that our education system is more reliant on technology than ever before. Today, I'm joined by Nina Angelo, VP of Product Marketing at Top Hat. Top Hat's active learning platform helps teachers engage and motivate students using a variety of online, blended, and face-to-face features. In the wake of the pandemic, tech solution offerings like Top Hat are more relevant than ever. Traditional education systems are facing pressure to adapt to the times, and educators and caregivers need tools to support their students. So Nina, welcome to Graduating Anxiety. Thanks so much for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do at Top Hat. Sure. So I am Vice President of Product Marketing at Top Hat. I've been with the company about four years. And what that means is essentially I get to think about our market, our customers, our product, and the intersection of the three all day long. Uh, Prior to that, I've, I've been in ed tech for about 10 years now. Prior to Top Hat, I worked at Pearson in product strategy, working on higher education, personalized learning, analytics, adaptive learning. And uh, prior to that, worked at HP in emerging markets education strategy, which was a lot of fun as well. So let's rewind to pre-COVID times. Uh, What kind of products was Top Hat offering to help students and educators? So our mission at Top Hat is to empower educators to engage students and unleash their potential. So we offer an interactive learning platform that allows instructors to use interactive content, tools, activities to engage students in the learning process uh, before, during, and after class. And we believe that engaged students lead to improve outcomes. So we focus on empowering educators to engage students in that learning process. So uh, being a little bit of a Zoom nerd myself here, I'm, I'm curious what you mean by interactive software. Could you explain that? So if we think back to at least my undergraduate education, um, you know, the typical experience was, you know, you walk into a classroom, you sit in lecture for 70 plus minutes, uh, you get talked at, and then you're expected to sort of retain that information. And then when you leave the classroom, you go and read a print, you know, textbook that uh, doesn't provide you any real feedback, uh, doesn't really engage you. So we're trying to change that model. We believe that students need to be engaged and motivated in the learning process. So our platform offers tools to be able to ask student questions during class live, uh, to be able to provide that feedback back to professors and allow them to be able to course correct, um, allows them to be able to participate in discussions, uh, allows them to be able 
to take quizzes in class. And then outside the classroom, we've created an interactive textbook model that allows students to assess themselves as they read. So rather than reading a wall of text, uh, what they're actually able to do is read a little, do a little, read a little, assess themselves, read a little, interact with the content in a way that allows for active learning, real engagement with the content in a way that most other platforms don't allow for. I mean, you sort of got into this a little bit, but could you talk about specifically how you shifted since the pandemic um, has started and what you sort of offer to students and to educators? Before the pandemic, Higher education was all about campus life and social activities and extracurricular activities and going into office hours and having a conversation with your professor, meeting up with students to work on group projects. All of that physical connectedness floated away and the spotlight was on the course experience. So what we did was really pivot to meet professors where they were at. Uh, And they were in a state of turmoil in terms of being able to understand what was available to them, not just to be able to teach their students, but actually engage them in the learning process rather than having, you know, Zoom black boxes and silence kind of staring right back at them. So uh, we did a few things. The first thing that we did was offer our platform for free. And so that was number one. Uh, And then we started thinking about the different jobs to be done that a professor is going to face over the course of their semester. And the first one was, how do I actually continue to assess my students? How do I run final exams uh, come April and May? And so we quickly integrated a remote proctoring solution that allowed professors to continue to keep academic integrity high in their courses um, and be able to assess their students remotely. You see it now, there's a huge trend both in K-12 and in higher ed around sort of the the ungraded assessment or the open book assessment. Um, And certainly we supported professors in that approach as well, because as I'm sure we're going to talk about, uh, assessment can cause anxiety for students. And it was certainly heightened during the pandemic. Great segue there. Uh, Our podcast does focus on students with anxiety um, and providing them tools and solutions. Uh, How do you think anxiety can affect students' learning? And um, as a subset of that, too, uh, what are some tools that can help manage this uh, technologically or otherwise? I'm not an expert on on anxiety or mental health, but I I get the sense that students are impacted um, in similar ways to all of us, right? And if you think about the learning process, it's a process that you want to feel very open during, right? Uh, You want to feel open, you want to feel connected to other people. And if there's anything that's happening in your educational experience that's shutting that down, you're, you're not getting the return on your investment because you're, you're actually not able to derive the value from that educational experience. So I do think that there are a number of, of not just tools, but pedagogical a- approaches. And of course, at the end of the day, educators uh, that do an amazing job at being able to engage students, connect them, relieve the pressure, um, you know, whether it be in the ways that you can participate in class, the ways that you can prepare for a class. Class, the ways that you can assess students, um, the ways that you can actually think about making education more affordable, right? There are a number of different tools out there that help to relieve that anxiety um, and allow students to focus on what they should focus on, which is actually learning, connecting, and kind of building themselves for the next phase of their life. 
What would you say are some of the challenges that students face today due to the pandemic? Yeah. So, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, Zoom became the tool that kind of everyone reached for. It became this life raft, essentially, for educational continuity, which is which is certainly something we need to aspire to. And as an educational ecosystem, we came together to be able to deliver. That said, learning online with a spotlight on you in a very different way than, uh, you know, being an anonymous student in the back row of the lecture hall suddenly became pretty overwhelming. Suddenly the intensity to be on on Zoom with a camera on, no matter what's going on in your background around you, uh, no matter who you're taking care of, no matter the stresses, no matter what time zone you're in, right? Suddenly um, there was a lot of pressure to perform, right? And then for educators, you know, it was similar as well, right? Uh, They're trying to deal with all these Frankenstein solutions. Use your Zoom, use your LMS. You know, we had obviously a number of customers who were trying to use TallPad to engage their students. And the Frankenstein solution of being able to work all of that together caused anxiety for the instructors. And and, and we all know that can be a bit contagious as well. So um, no one was comfortable uh, during this transition. And when we see now in the surveys that we've done of both students and faculty, uh, the fall is a little bit better. Uh, we had a little bit of time to plan, but it's not its not enough for people to be able to say, you know, I'm comfortable learning online. To some degree, I'd say what Nina was saying about uh, technology sort of being a product of um, the person that is sort of operating it is true. I think that's uh, absolutely right that if you're a good teacher, you're going to be a good teacher on the platform. If you're a poor one, certainly in engaging students, you're not going to magically be able to do that um, online. But I would say that technology is definitely different. (laughs) I, I think it feels very different at times. I think as soon as you shut off that Zoom platform, you shut down that meeting and you're left in the silence of the room, you feel that. I don't think we should dismiss that. I think that's maybe something we should embrace. There's definitely a distinction between in-person interaction and technology. However, you know, continuing to develop, I think, virtual reality, tactile functions, other sensory you know, perceptions in virtual reality um, might actually continue to sort of bridge that gap between the virtual and the real. That's what I'm excited for. Technology can be a bit of a double-edged sword. We're more reliant on it than ever amidst COVID-19, but uh, many people think of it as a major contributor to things like anxiety and depression. Uh, What's your take on this? And uh, do you think that technology does more harm or good when it comes to uh, education and mental health? I believe that technology in and of itself doesn't necessarily, you know, contribute to negative or positive outcomes. Technology is a thing that we use and how we use it as actors in that process is what actually determines the impact that it has. Um, you know, it's it's sort of the the concept of you put the right tools in the wrong hands or the wrong tools in the right hands um, and you can get very different outcomes. What I've noticed working in in higher ed for about a decade now is that you can take the best professor and they don't need any technology and they will still uh, engage their students and improve learning outcomes. You can take the worst professor (laughs) (laughs) and you can take 
the worst professor, you can put, um, you know, great technology in their hands, and you still may not engage your students and impact learning outcomes. So it's really about how we choose to train ourselves to use the technology, what best practices, best practices we're employing, and ultimately, how we're using technology as an enabler to achieve objectives. Technology in and of itself is not a panacea. Uh, it needs to be used for an explicit purpose, right? And, and have a plan in how you want to use that technology to drive those outcomes. One of the observations we've had a lot in this podcast or conclusion that we've come to is that technology has actually helped um, kids with anxiety um, in particular. Do you have any theories on on why that might be? I think technology gives students different ways to be able to engage in the learning process. Um, The traditional on-campus experience means that you you have a very sort of narrow path that you follow in order to be able to learn and technology opens up doors. And so, for example, in, in our platform, if a professor puts up a discussion question in lecture, you know, students have the option to be able to type it in. They can raise their hand. Uh, they can answer anonymously if they so choose. Uh, they can upvote each other's answers, which creates a dynamic of connectedness in the classroom, something that we know students are craving, especially now, right? So it actually is an enabler to expanding the solution set of how students actually are able to engage in the learning process. One thing that uh, we talk a lot about here too is uh, the how everyone sort of learns differently. You've referenced this a little bit in terms of differentiated instruction, but uh, sometimes students require customized educational plans. So we're talking about 504s, IEPs. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering basically what sort of capabilities there are to address these types of things online. Um, It seems like it's been a real challenge um, since the pandemic started. Certainly, yeah. And honestly, I don't think we think about that enough in higher ed. We think of these big lecture halls filled with hundreds of students and sort of the one-way instruction. Um, And in many ways, like K-12 or even early childhood education, does the personalized learning really well? I think that um, you know, just based on what I used to work on in in my previous life, there are many ways to be able to personalize the learning experience, um, and technology allows you to be able to scale that to fifty, five hundred students. When I was preparing for this uh, interview, you you mentioned the top hat had done a fair amount of research uh, over the past six months on students and how they're faring during the pandemic. Um, so I'm very curious, uh, what, what are some of the key findings of this research? Yeah, so we've we've conducted um, two student surveys and one faculty survey uh, since the pandemic hit. Uh, and the most recent results from the student survey are are pretty interesting. So in general, um, you know, despite a lot of planning over the summer, um, you know, students are still struggling with the online experience. Um, and that's to be expected, right? We're still ironing out a lot of kinks. This is brand new for a lot of institutions. And so, you know, we're, we're seeing the impact of that. Uh, you know, the recent enrollment numbers that came out this week said first year student enrollment is down 16%, uh, a higher number than we thought it was actually going to be. And that's, you know, the hesitation to actually participate in the online 
experience saying, no, I'll sit this one out. I'll take a break and I'll come back. Um, when I wonder what the dropout numbers are going to look like too. Um, are you studying those as well? Or okay. Absolutely. And we're kind of tracking that. You know, I think every semester the bar is higher from students in terms of what they expect of their institution and of their, of their learning experience. So institutions are going to be challenged to have to keep up with that. But what we did see is when we started uh, splicing and dicing the data, we actually saw some interesting trends around those students who actually do feel engaged in their learning experience um, or do, do feel confident that they'll come back for the winter term um, or do have a positive sentiment for their institution. Those are the students where in their courses, their professors are using tools, technology, to be able to allow them to connect with each other, to communicate with each other, right? I would say that technology has had somewhat of a paradoxical effect as far as anxiety goes, in that it both creates more anxiety and normalizes it simultaneously. So it in turn sort of becomes less uh, invasive and less aggressive. But just the isolation, I guess, that technology has, has, uh, has caused, how involved we sort of get in that, how little space we have in our lives. I mean, those moments in between, you know, interactions are now filled with like Instagram and like Facebook stories and like there's no time for nothing. That's probably the biggest difference between life now and 30 years ago is there was a whole lot of nothing in between things you're doing. I mean, when you're in the car you know, walking between classes. Those are all field spaces now. So I think that's definitely, you know, got to be a contributing factor, I would say, to anxiety because just the pace of life and just everything happening one after the, the next, the next, the next. However, normalizing anxiety has made it feel a little bit, you know, more bearable and made it seem more like, well, everybody's kind of going through this too. So, you know, this is nothing strange for me. And in that way, it sort of takes the teeth out of it. I've seen brain research that basically suggests that, you know, recognizing its sort of normality reduces it by 50%. That's the part that's remarkable to me is that it creates anxiety and normalizes it simultaneously. What does the future of education look like for students with anxiety? For sure, we're experimenting a lot more with different types of technologies, right? Um, we've opened doors where maybe the education ecosystem has closed them before. Um, I think in parallel, we're also learning a lot about student anxiety, student depression, uh, student mental health in general. And as we start to converge these two paths, we're just going to be able to offer a lot more options. Um, it's not just about accommodation. It's about meeting students where they're at. And uh, students are at different cognitive levels, but they're also at different social emotional levels. And so I think what technology is going to allow us to do is have that flexibility to meet the students where they're at. Uh, how do you, that's a very interesting point. Um, how do you see the technology being able to, to, to accomplish that? I think sometimes think people think of technology as kind of a one-size-fits-all solution, uh, oftentimes rigid. But what we're actually seeing in the edtech community is people deeply trying to understand the different 
segments of students, the different types of learning learner profiles that exist and actually being able to make accommodations for that, right? It's not just about accessibility, but it's about how do I allow students to be able to assess themselves in different ways? How do I allow them to be able to participate in different ways? How does technology allow them to be able to connect with each other, do group work, work on assignments together in ways that allow them the flexibility of learning and participating in the way that they feel most comfortable. So like, on, for example, on like a, an assessment or a, um, a paper of some sort, that technology would sort of give them the ability to be able to assess that in different mediums. So presentations versus papers versus... Yeah. I think at the aggregate level, we know that that students respond to assessment type of activities in different ways. You know, some some students are are okay with it and understand it's a part of learning. Other students get a lot of anxiety from having to prepare for it. Um, other students don't have the right set up to be able to participate effectively in the assessment. So um, what if the instructor could make it a test that you can take anywhere? Um, what if the instructor could make it such that um, if a student requires accommodations, I can give this student five hours versus I can give the rest of the class two hours? What if I could make it such that um, if someone has a, a, a disability and uh, that that doesn't give them anxiety that they actually feel quite prepared to be able to take the assessment uh, despite having that challenge, right? Technology can help us do this at scale. Our core instructors, uh, as hard as they work, it's really hard to be able to scale that for really, really large uh, courses that higher ed students take, especially in their first and second years. So I think technology has the ability to alleviate some of that burden, but also allow for that sort of accommodation. Yeah, I think that's the really the exciting part of what that, that can offer. How do you think we're doing as uh, parents and caregivers? And uh, what more could we be doing to support our kids? You know, I think parents and caregivers are in a really tough spot. Let's talk about caregiver anxiety um, in terms of having to wear many different hats right now and dealing with the stress of a job, keeping a job, you know, financial challenges, um, student, you know, dealing with their with their kids, keeping kids happy, uh, socialized, despite, you know, physical distancing. It's a lot. And I see the stress on, on your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that you've got three, right? You, you've got I do. Three, which is uh, a, a whole level of chaos beyond two. So um, parents in particular have proven to be highly adaptable. Um, I actually think it's up to the workforce and to ensure that that parents and caregivers um, have the flexibility and the same types of accommodations that we were talking about for students to ensure that they can focus on the right things at the right time. If you wanted educators to take one thing away from our discussion, what would that be? I think the educators who are thriving right now are the ones who are listening to their students. I just saw a Twitter thread, for example, on and how instructors are going to help students through the election cycle that's coming up, right? What are they going to do that week? And it was amazing to see how instructors listened to their students and said, you know what, we're, we're not going to do, we're going to just to do review that week, or I'm going to have open office hours the whole week and just be available on Zoom. And so listening to their students and realizing that this is an opportunity to teach something beyond the book. 
this is an opportunity to to teach about you know the world and uh, my favorite was one instructor who said i'm going to give extra points this week for those who invest in self care and show that they've actually thought about you know what it means to take care of themselves and listen wh where are you going to get that kind of lesson if not from the people who are in front of you teaching you every day um and so it's two instructors i would say you know there are the ways that we were taught um, and that you were taught it's not always the best to replicate that and those those instructors who are thinking creatively and thinking with learner-centered design those are the ones that are going to be remembered and appreciated and are going to ultimately impact education for the better Thank you very much uh, for, for joining me today, Nina. That was um, fantastic. Really interesting stuff. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alex. This was fun. After talking to Nina, here are some of my final thoughts. I think technology has a ways to go to catch up with some of those specialized plans to deal with kids who would, you know, have 504s or IEPs who are a bit different from the norm in that they haven't quite developed the flexibility uh, of instruction to sort of to be able to help kinesthetic learners, to be able to help visual versus auditory versus tactile. I think that there's some catch up work to do there, not only with the technology too, but also with, you know, the, the instructors and knowing how to use that technology to provide that differentiated instruction. That being said, I think the capability is definitely there. And I think Nina sort of brought this point up, but at scale, I think, you know, there's far more possibility in a system with technology to be able to provide differentiated instruction that deals with the different senses than what we had before the pandemic. My wife, you know, has different sort of uh, learning profile and, 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 you know, sort of described school in high school as sort of like the Charlie Brown wah, 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 like with the trombone, because her learning style didn't involve listening. And so when she went to college, she ended up just crushing it because it was, it was far more about, about note taking and about the visual experience. But that then sort of became like an accidental educational experience for her. There was nothing intentional about that by the system. Why can't we be intentional about that? We know, I mean, we can test kids and, uh, and tell which sense is like more predominant for them. What do, they, what do they use to learn? We have that capability. Why can't we establish a system that's intentional, uh, that takes advantage of that? Thanks for listening to Graduating Anxiety, the podcast that helps caregivers of anxious learners overcome obstacles to find academic success and build continuously happy lives. If you liked this episode, be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Merrill. See you next time.